In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are on the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas Eve is just around the corner. Ready or not, it's about time for the Christmas story, told by carols and by kids in costumes. And when we say the Christmas story, we usually mean Luke's version of the Christmas story. You know, the one with the shepherds kneeling at the manger and all the sheep illuminated by the heavenly hosts. The spotlight shines on Mary and on the baby. Joseph is there too, of course, but he usually doesn't get many speaking lines, unless he has to ask for room at the inn or to inquire, please, isn't there somewhere my very pregnant wife can lay down? But that's a story for Christmas Eve. Here on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we hear another version of the Christmas story. But this time it's the one told in Matthew's Gospel. Here in Matthew, we hear the Christmas story from the point of view of the Father. Well, not the Father, exactly. (laughs) Joseph is certainly not the Father of Jesus in the strictest sense of the term. And when Joseph hears that the woman to whom he is engaged is pregnant and he's not the father, he assumes what any normal person would, that Mary has been unfaithful. And Joseph, being a righteous man, plans to formally dissolve the engagement commitment that apparently has already been dissolved by the look of things. But Joseph soon learns that the disruption of his plans for a nice, simple home life with his bride and his dreams of becoming a father are much more far-reaching than just how his family or his village will react to this news. His question of who is the father is actually part of a much larger divine drama in which he will play a pivotal role, but not exactly the role of the father. It's actually quite fitting that Matthew's version of the Christmas story is about the father who isn't one. You see, Matthew's got this thing about fathers. Matthew has very strong opinions about how people who follow the Son of God should regard earthly fathers and the heavenly one. It's in Matthew 29 that Jesus instructs his disciples, call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Starting with Jesus, whose father really is the one in heaven, Matthew gives those who want to follow Jesus plenty to think about in terms of reorienting our earthly relationships, including those between children and earthly fathers. Jesus teaches his followers to orient their allegiance towards God, and all other loyalties need to fall into their rightful places in light of that relationship with God. That means that privileges usually given to fathers in Jesus' day such as treating children as property, and the authority granted to fathers, such as making decisions that are binding on all the members of the household, were to be removed. This means a radical redefinition of family, which Jesus himself exemplifies. In Matthew 12, Jesus is told that his mother and brothers are looking for him. And he replies, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister 
and my mother. You'll notice that in Jesus' family configuration, there are only brothers and sisters and mothers. And those, who, and those or whoever do, does the will of the only father, the one in heaven. Earthly fathers then become brothers, giving up their earthly privileges over others. And like those who had less power than they in Jesus' day, they too find their meaning and purpose in the will of the one father in heaven. As if to emphasize the reconfiguration of family, especially of fathers, Matthew's gospel shows us a few earthly fathers, and it's not a pretty sight. There's some pretty bad dudes, starting with Herod the Great. That earthly dad had some of his own children murdered in order to protect his position as, his, as king. And when he hears that some visiting magi have identified a Galilean peasant's son as a potential rival, he orders the slaughter of an entire village worth of children. One of Herod's surviving sons, called Herod Antipas, is not really much better. When he sees his stepdaughter dance, he makes an oath that she can have anything she wants, even half of his kingdom. And Herod just can't say no. So when his darling child asks for the head of John the Baptist on a platter, he can't bring himself to disappoint her. But even when Matthew isn't showing us these truly horrible earthly fathers, he still pushes us on what our relationships to one another should be, even to our earthly fathers. For example, early in Jesus' ministry, Jesus calls James and John, the sons of Zebedee, to follow him. They do, and they leave their earthly father standing alone in his boat. And we get a hint at what Jesus means about becoming a new family with one heavenly father by watching these two throughout Matthew's gospel. When they're acting like followers of Jesus, that is, as true sons of Jesus' father, they're called brothers. James and his brother John, or the two brothers. But when they're acting like they've never heard of Jesus, like when they're trying to get the best seats in the kingdom or falling asleep as Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, they're called the sons of Zebedee. Jesus knows it's hard to break our familiar patterns and that even now we may put the desires and demands of our blood relatives ahead of our loyalty to our one heavenly father and his son. When Matthew shows earthly parents who are doing right by their children, they're bringing them to Jesus. They're asking for their children to be healed. They're letting Jesus bless them. When parents care for their children by putting them in Jesus's care, they are acting as sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. When any one of us cares for the least, the lost, the vulnerable, the weak, the little ones in our midst, we are acting as sons and daughters of our one Father and brothers and sisters of Jesus. It's at the beginning of this story that the spotlight shines on Joseph, who shows the baby Jesus the kind of care that is in line with what the child's father and ours desires. Joseph shows the kind of care that all of us are to show those who are most vulnerable in society. 
Joseph follows the command of God. Joseph risks his own sense of what looks proper to the neighbors. He aligns himself with someone others would call unrighteous. Joseph acts decisively when the child's safety is at risk, and he is willing to act in such a way that Jesus will grow up knowing that his first allegiance is to God, and that means that his family will be bigger, broader, and yes, even stranger than any family Joseph could provide. Joseph may be no earthly father as we know it, but he shows us precisely the sort of love our Heavenly Father wants us all to show. May we, like Joseph our brother, know and show the love of our Father in Heaven, this Advent, this Christmas, and always.